Welcome to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, and we've got a special episode this week. Uh, this is a recording that I did a few weeks ago for the Scottish Beef event uh, with a man, a very switched-on man, who uh, who really does know his stuff in the livestock industry. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. I hope you enjoy this one. Well, hi, my name's Andy Frazier, and as part of the this year's Scottish Beef event, I'm chatting to Professor John Gilliland, OBE, from Brook Hall Estates in Northern Ireland, whose appointments include being on Europe's Soil Emissions Board, being a special advisor to the UK's AHDB, and chairman of the UK's Rural Climate Change, and among other hosts of appointments as well. John, you're a busy man. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you, and I'm... Well, John, you certainly come with a huge credibility within the industry. That you seem to have been in there amongst it, and and, and a very valuable uh, resource for for the, the the community and for sustainability. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a farmer. I was also educated in Scotland, so I'm a product of the old Scottish Agricultural College. So it's always great to re-engage and do some work in in Scotland. Whatever I do, any of my public appointments, I come to it as a practitioner through the lens of a practitioner and probably my speciality is getting an understanding of both new science and new policy and regulation and then rubbing the edges off it and seeing how would it apply to a practitioner at the end of the day i'm a decision maker running my own farm Okay, great, great to have the middle ground on both of those, and it makes you quite unique. And, and there's been, well, there has been a lot of scientific theories put out there about red meat and the rise of its adverse effect on our health in the media, and you've actually been a, a voice of reason involved in that uh, there, John, haven't you? You've stood up to it a little bit. Well, I, I've been very privileged. In my, in my previous job, I used to work with a lady, Professor Alice Danton, who's a medical professor, and actually took on The Lancet and said, hold on a moment. Some of the things you're publishing, the science doesn't stack up. And both Alice and I are really passionate in evidence-based decision-making. And what we saw was actually people were tinkering with the science. They weren't properly publishing their science, getting it peer-reviewed, and then drawing their conclusions. They were taking shortcuts. And really what both Alice and I have supported Alice have done is actually bring some credibility to that journey and say, Hold on, just as we are expected as farmers in the environment to have good, robust, credible science, so must we have in the role of red meat and human health. Red meat gives many vital things, particularly heme iron, vitamin B12, which plant-based food just cannot give to humans. Certainly, it's a controversial subject, but I'd like to think that uh, we would believe, or certainly most of us would believe your science, and it's good that they are held to account on, on these issues. And, and can we just move on a little bit there? You're involved, I mean, I, I didn't say, but you're a soil specialist, and, and you're involved in something called the Soil Nutrient Health Scheme, which I think is a Northern Ireland-based scheme. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what, the, what the SNHS does? So the, the Soil Nutrient Health Scheme in Northern Ireland is a very bold and audacious scheme. It was launched May uh, last year, 2022, and it's based on an output of an expert working group, which I had the privilege of chairing, which basically said, if you can't measure, you can't manage. And farmers genuinely wanted to go on a journey, but they wanted to know their own data. And so what the Soil Newton Health Scheme is doing is a scheme for the whole of Northern Ireland. And the ambition is the baseline, every field, every tree, every hedge in the country. 
and to give that information back to individual farmers so they can make better quality decisions about their journey towards net zero, their journey improving water quality, their journey in improving profits. And the Soil Nutrient Health Scheme is the first in the world is looking to baseline the whole region. Excellent, excellent. I know you get. I know you gave a paper on that subject at the World Congress of Soil Science, which was in Glasgow, I think, last year. And uh, I believe that uh, th- that article is available in some of the booklets for this uh, the Scottish Scottish Beef event. And it highlights some pretty interesting measurements and metrics that were taken, weren't they? I mean, you, you, you've taken all sorts of, of 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 measurements there that people maybe didn't didn't believe were were possible. I used to be an advisor to the British government and DEFRA on climate change. And at the end of seven years, they and I parted company because I believed that unless you can measure carbon stocks in the landscape, you would never be able to reward farmers. And everyone said to me, you would never be able to measure it. So I've spent the last nine years working with a private sector called company called Devonish in Northern Ireland, where actually we learned how to measure carbon stocks, both in the soils and one of the best companies actually in the British Isles to measure sources based out of Dundee AgriCarbon, where they can measure soil carbon down to one meter deep. Uh, the other thing we did is we came across an aerial digital technology called LIDAR, similar to radar, but it uses laser beams, flies over the landscape, does 40 beams per square meter compared to a satellite doing one beam per 10 square meters. So it it digitally measures every tree, every hedge, the topography. So if we're looking at an extreme rainfall, where does nutrient leave our land and go into watercourse? Tells you exactly. Creates these gorgeous runoff risk maps. But it also allows us to measure all the carbon in our trees and hedges. And if you repeat it every five years, you measure change. So it really goes to answer the question that I was told 10 years ago would never be answered, is you would never be able to measure carbon. So we've really been at the forefront of what are our carbon stocks? Can we build a carbon asset register in each one of our businesses and then go back every five years and remeasure it again? And that's at the core of the soil nutrient health scheme is about measuring carbon stocks, but then looking, measuring fertility, then looking at that impact on water courses. So then creating runoff risk maps to actually allow us to minimize our impact on water courses as well as give us a tool to reward us as we build more carbon within the landscape we farm. Excellent. And and uh, as you said, over a set period, you did that. And I think your initial trials, when you went back, um, you saw a massive change or you certainly saw a change in the ethics of, of people and in the ethics of, of the business because, because of what you've done and because of what they've taken on board. We, we've, so we've seen it both at a research level where we repeated the LIDAR seven years later, we had a 12.5% increase in above ground carbon. But we've also seen change in, in, in farmer behavior. So the Agri-Food and Bioscience Institute did a pilot in Northern Ireland, commissioned by our Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs, where we actually did three river catchments, where we did this LIDAR, we did the soil sampling analysis, we did the water quality analysis. We then gave one-on-one training to farmers with their own data. We helped them build nutrient management plans. And as a consequence, two years later, a team of social scientists from Leeds University went in and interviewed those farmers. And they recorded to 80% behavioral change from those farmers. And the subsequent year, for the first time in 60 years, 
we detected a statistically significant reduction of phosphate in the upper river band catchment, which was just quite extraordinary. Um, so we first of all found if you empower farmers with really good information about their own farm, they sit up and listen and they do something about it. Second of all, we recorded that we got that behavioural change in, in a soft way through behavioural uh, surveys. But in hard ways, we saw a statistically significant improvement on water quality, that being phosphate in the upper river ban. So we've got our soft targets right, we've got our hard targets right. And it was that that convinced the Northern Ireland government, even in this time of crisis, to fund a £45 million scheme, the Sol Newton Tell scheme, uh, which is basically dividing Northern Ireland and four, doing one quarter per year. So the first quarter is already done. We opened it as a voluntary scheme. And lo and behold, we now have 95% of the farmers in that first quarter of Northern Ireland signed up to the scheme. Wow. Wow. That, that's yeah, excellent. That's Excellent. And of course, this is, as you said, a Northern Ireland scheme, and you're going to take that forward on the other other four quarters. But is this something, I guess, is a blueprint that Scotland could follow? Are we expecting to see that soon? Has there been noises, noises to people following in your footsteps here, John? As a non-Scot, dare I even suggest what you should do in Scotland. So I, I am very careful. What I am saying, it is a fantastic model of measuring and managing and empowering farmers with really good information where we put our trust in them. I would politely suggest in Scotland that that is something you might consider. Now, I know it is being considered. I have had the pleasure. I've had some very good engagements with Quality Meet Scotland. Um, they have introduced me to your cabinet secretary. They have introduced me to the chief science advisor in agriculture and environment. And they have certainly listened very intently. And I know they have themselves talked to the Belfast government. So the concept I don't think is alien to people in Edinburgh, people in Scotland, and uh, our experience to date, actually, some people say, well, it's Big Brother. Others say, wow, this is really good information. And uh, now that we've got such a good uptake, that's really given us confidence to go forward. Excellent. And, and as you said, the uptake has been superb. And much of, of the focus of this year's beef event is, of course, about uh, carbon and sustainability and delivering net zero. And it's a grey area still to a lot of people. But uh, net zero sort of focuses on two main areas, doesn't it? Well, I, my problem when I do public participation is most people don't actually understand the definition of net zero. It's a bit like the word sustainability. It means different things to different people. Uh, so if you actually go and look at the legislation for 2050, net zero is where we reduce our emissions enough, we increase the carbon stocks enough that they equal out and where you adjust it then for any fossil fuel uh, energy you use by putting renewables in or any waste methane mitigation that you do in waste management. It is not about zero emissions. And alas, most of our media, most of our environmental NGOs don't understand that. And so um, really, my first job is actually, please, can we agree the definition of net zero? And can we unshackle land managers who happen to be either beef producers or land producers or, or whatever? But they're la you know, they are land managers first and foremost. And they have permission to use all the tools in the toolbox that suits their business and not some. Okay. 
Okay, and, and you mentioned, I, I've seen that you mentioned something called gross emissions, and uh, in simple terms, can you tell us just what, what the gross emissions are? Well, currently, the gross emissions are the sum, if you add up your carbon dioxide emissions, your methane emissions, and your nitrous oxide emissions, that for your business is your gross emissions. And that currently is what our businesses are reported against. There is a counter to that, which is gross segregation. So that is then all additional carbon you create in the landscape that you farm, that your livestock sit within. Okay. And that is called gross segregation. When you net one against the other, that is your net position before you adjust it for any renewables or waste management. And at the moment, we are not rewarded on a net basis. We are the only sector in the economy that can do this. And everyone just batters us emissions, 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 emissions. Well, actually, the United Nations in their report in September 2021, the UK's Climate Change Committee, both have said to achieve net zero by 2050, we not only have to reduce our emissions, but we have to build our carbon stocks. It's just so sad that on this island, we have yet to see any policies that reward, even recognize, the building of carbon stocks within the farm landscape. And this sounds like something that you had been doing in, in your in, in the, um, the soil nutrient health scheme, that you have been measuring those, uh, those the sequestration, something that hasn't been done anywhere else. I mean, that puts you at the sharp end of this. And if we can measure that, that kind of gives us the net farm carbon um, is a balance of those two things, one against the other. But if you haven't got one of them measured, then we're getting a pretty biased uh, a biased story here. So we get a totally biased story. So what we're doing at the moment is we're not actually measuring segregation, but we're measuring our carbon stocks. Okay. So how much carbon is under our soil today? How much carbon is in our trees today? Segregation then is the additional bit we will add in. So when we come back, our plan is to repeat this every five years. And when we come back every five years and we do our soil sampling again and we do our aerial LIDAR again, we will measure our carbon stocks again. And then the difference will either be segregation or emissions because some soils can go in reverse. And sometimes you can cut trees down or you can have a storm. So we need to be honest and transparent, but at least this allows us to be transparent and on the whole, what you will find across different farms, I mean, I've had the privilege, I chair an EIP operational group of farmer-led innovation. There's seven farms in Northern Ireland, including my own, which have gone on this journey. We now know the net position for all seven farms. Okay. And it ranges from a 26% reduction to a 560% reduction. Wow. So that's a, that's a huge diversity just, just within your own area, but I suppose that's the thing, farming that's, is diverse. And, and so the two things I would say, first of all, remember net zero is not about every farm getting to net zero. Net zero is about the average of the industry getting to net zero. Every farm is on a different part of the journey. So it's really important we find a way to allow farmers to know their own numbers. Okay, where are they on this journey? That, 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 that's really critical. But also, too, is that we're allowed to use other technologies in that. The one that's 560% beyond its gross emissions happens to be my own farm. And if anyone who knows me, I happen to have a very big renewable heat business. And 
Um, so that allows me to go way beyond net zero. Okay, so the net zero for me is not the big bogey everyone makes it out to be. When you look at the total business, and it's not about getting rid of animals, it's it's not about zero emissions. Yes, we have to bring our emissions down. Yes, we have to bring our carbon stocks up. But yes, we can embed some renewables, we can put some waste management in. It's the totality. It's allowing us to be really dynamic businesses. Okay, and... and uh you've offered us a lot of advice on there and i think you mentioned with your arc zero project that is sort of is is leading this and uh, um that's sort of the advice where we are really it's not about just reducing the emissions the emissions what you're saying it's about reducing that increasing that sequestration is, is probably the key to to getting this this balance right suit andy and the one plea i have to everybody is can we get help to give farmers the opportunity to baseline because a lot of farmers are already doing a lot of good, but they've no baseline in. And until you put the baseline in, you can't be recognized for your further good. And that was one of the key messages we gave to the Belfast government is please help us create one baseline, one credible one. Not, I mean, there's a whole heap of Wild West companies out there, but we said, can we have one scheme with credibility so that we can all go on this journey together and we, it then stands muster. And so when we go to market our product, we can market it with integrity that we're on a journey. And, and, and that is, I suppose that's what we're looking at, the sole responsibility in the meat sector it is, is pretty much to do that, isn't it? It's to get some integrity behind our product and, and have some valuable figures that back it up. Absolutely. And you know something? Nothing beats grazing animals, and particularly just on a, a more tongue-in-cheek note, their feces. Their feces is gold dust, the soil biology, and carbon sits within the soil biology. So taking big animals off land really deprements the soil biology and therefore the carbon sequestration potential of that soil. So all those people looking to get rid of big animals, just be careful that you get what you wish for and you'll end up with the wrong answer. It's a perverse answer, but you know something, there is a reason why the microbiome in the soil is identical to the microbiome to the gut of a cow. It's called defecation. Okay, there we go on that on that note of defecation. I mentioned earlier on that, John, your, your paper that was uh, given at the World Congress um, is available in the booklets for the Scotch uh, Beef event, so people to please uh, look that up there. And, and uh, we really appreciate your time there, and I hope that uh, you've enlightened a lot of people uh, about the, the, what Net Zero is, is about and what a, what is our uh, our net farm carbon um, issue is, is not just about reducing emissions but uh, about sequestration. And, and one last question that sort of has come up recently, and I think probably more an issue in, in Ireland and maybe spreading about, is, is about peat and, and the, how peat is with regards to carbon and people wanting to go more back to sort of peat, peat areas. So peat is a hot topic. Peat is soil that has huge quantities of soil organic carbon. So the technical term is when you're 0 to 30 centimetre layer has more than 20% soil organic carbon, it's a peat. And what happens as that peat dries out, the carbon is mineralized and is released to the atmosphere. And so there's a huge drive to re-wet peats. So just to put some statistics around it, a mineral soil under grass 
can sequester half a tonne per hectare per year. A peat soil that is drying out under grass can emit 20 tonne per hectare. Wow. So this is where everyone's screaming, please, can we re-wet peats? My answer to policy in that is, we can do it when you understand the economics of it. Currently, in the UK emissions trading scheme, carbon is worth somewhere between 70 and 100 pounds a tonne. If we're going to save, say, 10 tonne per hectare per year, because we re-wet, that's worth a thousand pounds per hectare per year. You recognise it, we'll do it. That makes that makes sense. So the government need to just make sure that uh, that if they are we are going down that route there that uh, that we're compensated accordingly in in, in carbon carbon and, and financially. John, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, I really hope everybody out there enjoyed this, and we all learned every day is a school day, and we all learned a lot today. A pleasure, Andy, and thank you for your time too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, and I hope you found that episode as fascinating as I did. Uh, as always, of course, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support, and find out what Harbro can do for you and your livestock uh, by going online or going on the internet there and search them out. Maybe contact your local representative and have a chat and see what uh, Harbro's range of nutritional products can do for yourself. And uh, as I said, find them on social media, and while you're on social media, Don't forget to follow Top Lines and Tales podcast and don't forget to look us up and join our Facebook community uh, of Top Lines and Tales where you'll find interesting photographs and various other things to back up this and previous episodes.